Hey everyone, it's Kathy, and welcome to another episode with the Triangle Nets, a journey into cybersecurity. So the reason why I started the Triangle Net and the reason why I am inviting people to my podcast, a journey into cybersecurity, is to inspire young and not so young girls and women to consider the possibility that they too could make an impact and be part of the cybersecurity community. Because today, on average, two out of 10 people in cybersecurity are women, so 20%. And that's not enough. We'll be happy when we reach 50%. So to kind of talk to that topic, I know this, this is a topic dear to her own heart and it's part of her mission. I've invited Galen Fassler. Good morning. Good morning, Galen. We invited your cat as well. (laughs) (laughs) She has to be in all my meetings or she's said, yeah. (laughs) And that's quite all right. We we love we love to be bombed. That's more than welcome. There's gotta be some upside to the pandemic and it's all of the pets that have are that have now been coworkers. For yes. years, the days a year that I've been working from home. And so they, Same year. Yep, Same they year. got upgraded to coworker and they have embraced it and she's really good at it. So, <laughs> yes, you'll hear my dog. Um, he would <laughs> always jump on my lap at the end of every call. And so now he's 10 pounds bigger. <laughs> he's colossal. So, Thank you, Galen, for being part of the podcast. How should we introduce you to our younger audience? What is your title and what does that mean? I'm an information security analyst. Um, And what that means for me is I do awareness and training. So um, we run a phishing program where we fish people once a month um, to try to educate them to the dangers of phishing and how to spot and report phishing emails um, within our enterprise. Uh, we give presentations, we call it, we have a presentation we call the scaring is sharing presentation because people, we go talk about the dangers of being online, you know, to yeah. ourselves, to children, um, to like our, our people's kids. And mm-hmm. there's always somebody that's like, that was really scary. <laughs> we just go, we know, like we live in this world all the time. This is what we think about all the time is how to protect ourselves, how to protect our company. Um, how do we stay safe? And so we, we do that a lot. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of the day-to-day stuff that I get to do. And it's really fun because I'm really passionate about security. We'll talk about it, but um, it took me a long time to get into the industry, a long time to figure out that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And then once I did realize that, and I realized it's just a matter of learning these things, it immediately became just a thing that I wanted to do was help share what I've learned with other people who also, <laughs> everybody needs to know this stuff. So it was pretty immediate that I was like, let me just turn around and share everything that I just learned. So, yes. Now, when we were talking, you mentioned this was the third time you were an analyst. So you, in previous jobs, you were an analyst, but it wasn't the same thing that you were doing. So what were you doing in other type analyst roles? Yeah. So my first um, analyst role, I was working in identity and access management. Um, that was for um, Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina. And so that was working a ticket queue, um, giving people access to different active directory groups, different folders, whatever they needed. That was my team that did that. Um, Great first job. Loved that job. Uh, Really Mm -hmm. fun. And then my second analyst role, I was kind of a generalist. 
So I started in identity and access management. And in, in that role, we got to do data loss prevention, threat and vulnerability management, security education and awareness, like kind of ran the spectrum of what you see in a lot of security teams. And it was a great role. I learned a ton, um, yeah. which is kind of getting to do everything. Yes. So that's that's really interesting to know that a title analyst may mean all kinds of different things to different people and different organizations. Now, before we talk grown-up stuff, let's talk about, about Gail and the kid um, growing up. So where did you grow up and what were you like as a little girl? Um, I grew up in Colorado, grew up just south of Denver. And as a kid, I was really shy, like especially when I was little. I was really shy, like don't want to order my own food at restaurants shy, <laughs> just like didn't like strangers. Um, and so it was it was kind of a process. I opened up eventually. <laughs> Here we are. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, G- little Galen was, I, I mean, I was like around my family. I was funny and, and, you know, I've always been really smart, but no, mostly I just remember <laughs> being shy and having anxiety all the time. Yeah. And was that in, in middle school, high school? Like when, when did you kind of get comfortable in bigger public settings? Um, definitely. It started middle school. Like I kind of remember every transition into middle school, into high school, into college. Mm-hmm. I opened up a little bit more. I got a little bit more confident. Um, definitely college helped a ton. Just being on my kind of on my own, I went to the same university as my brother, so I always had somebody in case I needed something. But um, it definitely was a it, it took it took change for me to, to yeah. be more confident and like to enter these new situations and find out that I'd be okay in them and then go from there. Yeah, and what what were your interests? Any particular interests at that time? Yeah, um, I played softball. So I was, and my brother played football. So we were just kind of jocks. Like we were, we were a sports family. We dedicated so much of our time to training and sports and doing all of that. And then, um, I always liked school. So, you know, I always had good grades. And so if I wasn't practicing, I was doing homework or just watching TV or hanging out. Um, I had some close friends that I still have like still friends with my high school best friend today, which is awesome. Um, so yeah, it was, I think it was a pretty, typical childhood like just sports and hanging out and yeah yeah and Colorado is such a beautiful place too to to be outdoorsy yes yes I actually so I used to be very outdoorsy I played an outdoor sport and when I moved here I thought that I'd stay doing outdoor stuff but I don't like humidity so (laughs) I'm inside like I just I miss Colorado for that for being outdoorsy because I don't like it (laughs) yes Although Colorado just got dumped on with this massive amount of snow and like the fourth largest storm in Colorado history is what I saw. Wow. That's amazing. I didn't even know that. I just knew it was massive. Um, and it was 70 degrees here. So <laughs> it was It's beautiful here, but again, allergies. Allergies. <laughs> so what did you want to be when you were young? How did you imagine yourself growing up? That's a good question because I know it changed a lot. Like I, I remember probably the most consistent thing I wanted to be was a writer. Um, I've always been, I've always enjoyed writing and I've always been good at it. So that was probably the thing like in it transitioned, like I wanted to write books at first and then I wanted to write screenplays. And, but then there's obviously like 
for a while I wanted to be an astronaut and I wanted to be a pilot and I wanted to like do all these different things. Um, but definitely never would have imagined what I do now. Like, I didn't even know it was job. So, um, yeah, it was, yeah. But then you studied history in college? I did. Yeah. Um, so good point. By then I had come around to, when I first did, uh, when I first chose history, I wanted to go to graduate school and go get my PhD in history and then teach in college. Mm-hmm. And then about halfway through college, I was like, that sounds like a lot of school. I'll switch to education and I'll just teach high school history. Like that'd be cool. And then <laughs> I was in, uh, in high schools and I realized at the time that teenagers terrify me. So <laughs> maybe I shouldn't be teaching high school. So I just switched back to history and was like, I don't know what I want to do. At that point, I really had no idea what I wanted to do after college. That was my junior year. And I was just like, I don't know. I want to be out of college at this point. That's all I can think of. So <laughs> I did a history degree thinking I could do anything and I could do whatever. And mm-hmm. um, not true. <laughs> Graduated undergrad and I moved out here into to North Carolina and just kind of floundered for about a year before I found anything. because. Um, mm-hmm. I know, I know there's a lot of value in a history degree and and anybody who comes out of college with a history degree, I would be like, oh my gosh, you know so many things and you, you did have a great education, but I don't think a lot of people know that. So I had a hard time at first finding, finding that job, that first job. Um, And so what did you take your master's in? So I did, um, so I got out of college and I found a job as a front desk coordinator and I could see, like, I liked the job fine, but I could see there wasn't really room for upward more mobility there, like with that job or in that company. And so I decided I wasn't that busy during the days. So I was like, I can do a master's at the same time while I work. So I went and I did an online degree. I did my master's through Regis University and I did it in criminology. Um, I had taken, I was a sociology minor in college. And so I had taken a criminology class and um, I don't know what it is, but it was, it's very fascinating to me. Um, And I I just found it so interesting so I decided I like I researched programs and I found a great one. And um, so I did I was able to do work and school at the yeah. same time. And uh, yeah, it was it was awesome. And it's kind of interesting, though, because I hear little crumbs um, in your in your history, in your in your education that kind of, you know, contribute to who you are today, whether it's education, history, criminology, it, it helps you understand the bigger picture and educate a wider audience with that knowledge. In my opinion, I think that probably serves you really well in your current role. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But you just didn't know that that would be what you end up doing. I had, I had some inkling. So before I had started my master's, I had worked for a little while with Raleigh ISSA, which is an organization that you and I both are members of. I think that's actually how we met, exactly. um, how we met a ton of people. Yeah. Um, and so I had worked with Raleigh ISSA. I had been introduced to it by a family member and I had just helped them do some administrative work with their conference and uh, monthly meetings. And so I, I knew what information security was when I went to do my master's. I knew great people in the industry, but I just still wasn't thinking that it would be the industry for me. I was like, no, I'm going to go get my master's in criminology. I want to go be like an intelligence analyst for the CIA or something. And so that's when I went and did my master's, but then still not thinking of InfoSec. 
But in my master's, I got the opportunity to do um, an emphasis in cybercrime and terrorism. And that was my introduction. That was It was um, computer forensics and cybercriminology and all of that. So uh, it was a really good inf- introduction to the stuff. And that was where I first was like, oh, I just have to learn this stuff. And I can learn this stuff. And maybe I could work in this field. Yeah. Um, so when I, when I finished my master's, um, I still tried for a little while to go the intelligence analyst route. But it's even more difficult to get your foot in the door there. And so I, I was kind of thinking about what do I want to do in the future? And I, I just kept coming back to information security because mm-hmm. I knew I could do it. I knew I'd be good at it. I knew great people already. So I knew I'd have people to hang out with and people who I liked. And um, I decided yeah, to turn my focus to let's try to go be in information security. So hindsight 2020. Um, what are some of the lessons that you learned in school that weren't per se textbook? Um, I would say some of the lessons that I learned in college are like finding your people, um, making sure that you have a good support network, making sure you have people who believe in you and who you want to surround yourself with. Um, Mm -hmm. Probably the most rewarding part of this career to me is the people who I've met, um, the things that I've been able to do within this community. So that is something that's so valuable that it takes a long time to learn that lesson. You know, college definitely helped me learn it, but it's been through this period of my life where I've, where I've realized the people, like I need my people, um, especially now with COVID being home for a year and I haven't seen any of you. Like it's been so it's been on the one hand, it's been kind of nice to realize how many people I have to miss. And so many of those people right now are our InfoSec people um, who we're not seeing each other. So um I think that's probably the most valuable thing that I've taken away uh, recently. I love that lesson. And to to continue on that topic, um, growing up, who were your role models? Definitely a big role model for me was my brother. Um, he's a couple of years older than me. And he, like I said, I was really shy as a kid. And he was pretty shy for a while, but he grew out of it way quicker than I did. So just kind of watching him like make friends and be really comfortable in who he was as he grew up, um, it, it always made me want to be like him. And of course, I mean, he's a great big brother and we've always been close. So uh, definitely he's my he's my most consistent role model. Um, I think through the years, I was always kind of a teacher's pet. I was always very close with my teachers and I always had um, good relationships with them. So um, every year, you know, I had a role model there, but my most consistent one is for sure my brother. Yes, I I so agree with you. Siblings have such a powerful influence on you. I I have the same story, and um, you know some kids underestimate the 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 value that they get out of um, out of a sister or a brother or or more than one. Let's talk about your cheerleaders. Who were the people motivating you and cheering you on during your education and into your career? Um, definitely my parents and, and my brother, again. Um, having those people, you know, on the one hand, having expectations of getting good grades can cause a lot of pressure and all of that. But it, for us, it was they knew we could get good grades. And so it was expected, but it wasn't, wasn't unreasonable, right? Um, they knew, our parents knew if we just did our homework and studied that we would get good grades. And so having that kind of innate faith in us was really helpful. Yeah. Um, I felt for me, 
and it helped keep me motivated because I am, I'm a pleaser also. Like I want people to be happy with me. So that was really easy to just do what, what I was asked and that's it. And then now as an adult, I find I have a lot more cheerleaders, which is interesting. Like I would think as you get older and you're independent, you don't need that support as much, but I think it's even, it's just as vital now. So um, got a great study partner, Gina, who was your first interviewee and I just watched her interview and it's awesome. <laughs> She's always, I've known her since before I got into InfoSec when I was still trying and she has just always believed in me and that's been so helpful. Um, and then uh, Rob Martin, who you also, I believe his interview should be coming out soon. Yes, he spoke very highly of you. <laughs> He's, I mean, if you ever meet anybody who doesn't like Rob, something's wrong because Rob's <laughs> the best. Um, he's never not believed in me and in whatever I've wanted to do. He's, and he's always, Rob is the person that if you ask him for something, if you need something, he will, he will show up for you every time. Um, and that's so valuable. Mm-hmm. And I, that's not only are they my cheerleaders, like now they're my role models. You know, that's who I want to be with my community also is that person who I will turn around and help you however I can when you need it. Um, so those are two big ones. And then I also have, um, I'm really lucky right now in my current job, I have an awesome boss who like has told me a million times, I've worked for her for a little over a year now, and she has never not believed in me and never not supported me. And this last year has been tough. And there's been a couple of times where I've been really hard on myself. And I'm like, no, I know we can do better. And she's like, no, look at everything that we did this year. Like you're doing an awesome job. And so to have that, that support um, coming from someone above you is so important and has been such a blessing this year. Absolutely. And it's true. Like you said, it's so important that you surround yourself with the right people in, and not just growing up as a kid in school or the clubs that you join, but at work, you know, you, you get to choose your manager too. It's not just that they give you a job and you have to consider yourself lucky. Exactly. You get to choose them too. And, and you have to be very wise in that decision because you get to spend a lot of time with that person and that group of people that you end up working with. Um, let's talk a little bit about mentorship because I feel like Rob Martin is one of those people who really sees himself as a mentor and is a mentor to so many people. Um, do you have any other mentors right now who are kind of helping you get to your, to the next stage? Um, funny enough, my boss refuses to call, um, herself my mentor and I'm always like, she's such a great boss and mentor. And she's like, I'm just your friend. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure I'm learning a lot more from you, but okay. Um, so that's funny that you bring that up because I've been trying to go through my network and start developing these mentor relationships um, because I've always had very informal ones like with Rob um, and then um, kind of peer to peer relationships like with Gina. And um, so I'm I it's kind of interesting, though, because I don't I don't want to waste somebody's time. Like I don't want to ask them to be my mentor and then not take advantage of their knowledge. And so it's, it's a weird, like I'm having weird imposter syndrome about getting a mentor, which sounds ridiculous, but it's like, I don't know how to, how to ask somebody to be my mentor and then like how to take advantage of their, their willingness to help me. And so it's, yeah, but it's definitely on my roadmap of things to do this year is to try to develop a formal mentorship with somebody um, to help me because I do feel like I've got the support I need at work. And it's just a matter of helping the development along the way at this point so yes 
And I, I feel that, um, sorry about the, the dog. <laughs> I do feel that um, there could be, there's room for improvement around mentorship. It, it should be more accessible. Um, there should be a way where you can just say, hey, I need a mentor. This is what I'm looking to learn. Who's right. available? And vice versa, there should be a way for someone to say, I would love to mentor someone, but it's uncomfortable for me to offer mentorship because there's this, this whole bias in the workplace going on and people are uncomfortable just reaching out to you know men, to women, women to men. It's People are so tippy-toeing around each other, not to you know be in, insensitive per se, but I think that if we were to just create something that makes it accessible and and not as awkward and and just as a tool a resource i think everybody would be benefiting from that on both sides agreed 100 so let's talk a little bit about roadblocks um that you ran into on your little journey into cybersecurity, what were some of the roadblocks that you faced? Honestly, I was most of those roadblocks. I was just, so I, so I have a family member who works in this industry. And ever since I graduated undergrad, he has been telling me, or he had been telling me like, you should work in this industry. You'd be really good at it. Like you have great, you have great people skills and that's what we need. And for so long, like I said, like when I went to grad school, um, I just thought to myself, you know, no, I'm not, I'm not smart enough. I'm not technical enough. I don't mm-hmm. know enough about any of this to even consider being in this industry. And so I, I discounted myself for a really long time because I wasn't, I'm not, I'm still not that technical. Like I, I obviously have grown a lot in that skill, but um, I always thought people who work in this industry, people who do like design development, coding, that kind of stuff. Or like the kids that you saw sit down at the computer and just like typed out stuff and, you know, figured out how everything works right then and there. And that wasn't me. And so for a really long time, I was just like, no, there's no way. Like, I can't just sit down at a computer and understand everything that happens within it. So I can't yeah. do this job. Yeah. And it's just a matter of learning. And I know I'm capable of that. I've, that's never been something I've been bad at. I'm really good at learning. So um, it was, but I was still getting that, that confidence up because even then when I got my first job, um, I had security plus, I had a master's degree and I still got almost, I was so anxious on my way to work every day that I almost got sick on my way to work, like every day, probably quarter that I worked there because I just felt like how, like, who did I trick to get here? Like, I don't belong here. Like, when are they going to realize that this, that I shouldn't be here? Um, so yeah, it's, it's mostly been myself <laughs> holding me back. Um, but then that, that's been a process, um, through doing a good job at work and, you know, being just who I am, you know, I'm a hard worker. I'm very smart, very friendly. And, um, so it's, it's been a process of just kind of having more trust in myself. And I definitely like have taken advantage of opportunities since then. And, um, I just got promoted at work, um, after less than a year, I got a promotion because I'm good at my job and, you know, I'm, I'm not afraid of that. I'm not afraid of success. I think for a long time I was. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And you, you touch on something so important. The reason why young girls already in middle school are, are not pursuing a STEM education is because 
they already are thinking, that's not me. I can't do that. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. When they have the perfect same ability uh, and skill sets and starting points than anybody else in that classroom. Um, and that's kind of one of the reasons why there, there's a lack of girls in STEM education to begin with and why now there's a lack of girls in cybersecurity and technology altogether. It's, it's, it's uh, if only we could flip that switch and right. say, yes, you can. And, and give that idea a possibility that they too can do it and they too would like it and be successful in it. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, I don't ever remember a moment of somebody telling me I couldn't do it. Like I was always good at math. Um, I didn't like it, but I was good at it. And so it wasn't that it was a moment where someone was like, you wouldn't be good in this field. Mm-hmm. It was just how I felt. It was just like, no, I have a feeling I'm not going to be good at this. Yeah. But that's, that's, I think, a very systemic problem that we have in education is it just girls aren't, they're not engaged in it. Um, they're not, like you said, they're, they just don't think they can do it. And yeah. nobody's there to catch them to be like, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yeah. So. And I'm, I'm part of Tweens and Technology and we're doing a Python coding camp for, for kids between third and eighth grade right now. And it's, it's 50 boys and girls because at a young age, you know, they don't, they don't think that way yet. Yep. Fourth grade, not yet. So that's really good. Um, but when we're having Q&A and open forum, you'll see the boys being more outspoken. And we have to make the effort to ask the girls for their opinion. And we have to make the effort to, to pause and give them a voice. So I think it's a very important thing for us grown-ups to play that part in, in lifting girls up to their full potential from a very young age. The getting into your first job or your second job, how hard was it to get that first job in cybersecurity? Hard. It was hard. Um, once I decided that InfoSec was where I wanted to be, uh, it still took me about a year before I got that first job. Um, so I thought with being involved with the community like I was and having a master's that that would like help at least get my resume to somebody. And mm-hmm. it did not. Um, so it took getting um, my first certification, which was Security Plus, uh, to, for anybody even to look at my resume. And then um, it actually happened through LinkedIn. I, I, that's another thing that I always recommend to people is like be active and involved on LinkedIn, like share articles or comment on stuff and just people, you know, if you want to be in this field, um, it's great. And, but it takes that kind of work. Like right. a lot of what I focus on is contributing to the community outside of my job. Yes. So if you're already doing that before you're, you're really employed, uh, in the field, that's going to show a lot of good things to people. So. Um, a recruiter found me on LinkedIn from Blue Cross and he called me and he was like, we don't have a role for you right now, but I, I mean, I think you'd be a great candidate. So I'll keep you, I'll keep you in mind if something comes up. And I was like, all right, I'll talk to you never. Cool. Um, but he called me a few months later and he said, Hey, we have a role, you know, send me your resume. Here's the job description. Um, and it went, it was very smooth from there. So it was just making those connections and, and being involved in the community, which I think it's really hard for people to fully commit to, like, I want to be in this industry and I'm going to show you that online. 
because you know there's that risk of failure mm-hmm. the risk of like why would I devote all this time to trying to get here if I'm not going to get there in the end and so it is a leap of faith but um it worked out and I think it, it, it's absolutely worth it Yes. And uh, to note the Security Plus uh, certification that CompTIA provides is definitely a good foundation. It's very comprehensive. And um, for anyone wanting to break into cybersecurity, this would be something that they can do early. This is not something they have to wait to be in college or even um, at any age. This is something that can be accomplished, um, at least educationally. There are LinkedIn learning sessions, YouTube sessions, all kinds of tool sets available. So we just planted a little seed there. Um, but I I listened to another podcast. Um, what was it called? Um, something Mojo. Mojo Maker with Karen. Mojo. Yes, Mojo Maker. And something struck me uh, when you were talking on that podcast. And it it was about the hiring process. And something you just mentioned right now is that you you kept sending your resume uh, and you weren't necessarily getting a response to begin with. And um, some people may not know this, but there is this thing called bias and it's sometimes an unconscious bias. And there's actually been a study where the same resume, the same letter was sent. It was a study where it was just a user group, basically. But they shared it with this with the same group of people, um, but they changed one, one thing, and that was the first name of the applicant. And one had a girl's name and one had a boy's name. And it was fascinating how the perception of those who reviewed the resumes was girl versus boy. The girl was less likely to get the job while the boy was. The girl was considered to be more obnoxious and and overconfident or whatever it may be, while the boy was considered to be mature or worthy of this particular job. And it really begs the question, is there a talent gap? Right? Absolutely. No question. Because there, there isn't. You're the proof of that. I, honestly. Okay. I, I see. I see what you're putting. I'm picking it up. I do think there is a talent gap in some areas, but mm-hmm. you do make a good point that it's not necessarily a talent gap. It's a bias that you yes. think people aren't qualified, even though they're, they're plenty qualified. Yes. I think there's a gap in the process. Yes. Yes. And to the, just to connect the dots, we talked about mentorship. We talked about that engagement between the grown-ups, <laughs> the, the professional world, the educational world. There aren't enough pathways for young people to have access to the coaches, the insights, the professionals to kind of know what's needed to be, t- to be learned to begin with but also how to get that experience, how to build these connections at an early stage and perhaps eliminate the, the possibility that just that little data point could, could be the reason why you're not even being considered. 
but I am challenging this whole hiring process. Yes. But it is a lesson to the little girls listening to us right now. It's, you know, adversity is something to be expected. It's adversity is to be expected by anybody. Let's be clear. Yes. But it is not too late to anticipate it now and to prepare for it now. And, and I love how you are supporting others. You are a study buddy with Gina. Um, you volunteered at ISSA with InfoSecon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, and let's talk about women in cybersecurity. Yeah. Um, so Women in Cybersecurity, it's an, an international um, organization with the, the main goal of helping women get into cybersecurity and then achieve once they're there. Um, there's another startling fact that it's the industry is only about 20% women, and that's been pretty stable for a while. But um, women also have a tendency to leave within the first 10 years of being in the field. So there's they don't stay once they get here, and that's, that's shameful. Um, so... Women in Cyber, I've been volunteering with them. Um, I'm on their board. been there for a little over a year now. Uh, might be closer to two years now. Um, and it's really fun. It's probably, like I said before, it's it's so rewarding to be a member of this community because we, we talk to a lot of people. All of the board, most of the board members, we are in InfoSec. We have jobs. We have analyst titles or consultant titles, whatever. But um, we meet all these people who are like, I'm just trying to get into the industry. And we're like, we've been there. We know how hard it is. Please keep going. It's worth it. It's really hard, but it's so worth it. And so getting to connect with people from all walks of life, our board is really diverse. Um, and so it's it's awesome to get to connect with these people from different walks of life who have different experiences getting into the industry. So when people come to us, we, we all have our different experiences to say like, well, this is how it happened for me. But, you know, Gina went this path and Noreen did this path. And here are all of the opportunities that we all know about. How can we help you? How can we share our experiences? And I, I love that you're paying it forward. So you were given the support by the community, but here you are paying it forward 10 times. Um, so thank you for that. The Women in Cybersecurity organization has, has really grown Last week, Monday, was International Women's Day, and I attended their, their uh, little, was a, a virtual uh, panel, and, and Noreen was on there. Yes. And she did fantastic. Um, I love how this organization is bringing women together from all over the world, not just locally in their own little communities, but globally, and um, now they have an annual conference, hopefully, it will happen this year in, in Colorado. Um, definitely a worthy organization to associate yourself with as, as a young woman, as an aspiring cybersecurity expert. Because um, yeah. um, just like the thing that I, I love Raleigh, I have to say, it's an extremely worthwhile organization and I've met so many great people through there. But as the industry trends, there are mostly men at ISSA. And so when you're a woman, especially when you're new to the industry or you don't know that many people, to walk into an ISSA meeting and see mostly men can be really discouraging and can be really... And so that's the value that women in cyber brings is when you walk into one of our meetings, it's all women. We don't don't 
discourage men from encouraged from coming. We we have male members, but our focus is women. And so I think um, for women, when you're starting out, it's a lot easier to walk into one of our meetings than into an ISSA meeting because come to our meeting and you'll meet all of us and then you'll meet all of us that go to the ISSA meetings so that when you go to them, you have familiar faces. Um, yeah. Yeah. Very true. And there are other types of organizations. That's kind of why I started this website, thetrianglenet.com, to kind of list all the different types of organizations that help subgroups in within a community um, because there are all kinds of different demographics and also African-American or any type of other demographic sometimes feels a little bit, they are a minority, let's face it, in that community itself. And it, it's a little bit daunting to, to walk in a room with a hundred people who just don't look like you at all. Um, so there are many different types of organizations where someone can find a home and a support system. Mm-hmm. To, to go forward. Let's talk a little bit about words of wisdom uh, around cybersecurity. So what are the things that you like to teach about cybersecurity? You talked about scaring is caring. Yeah. Staring is care- staring is sharing is caring. Um, okay. <laughs> so that's actually one of our tenets of what we do is that we you can't teach everything all at once. You know, our cybersecurity knowledge is there's a lot to know, and so we try to focus on a couple of simple things. So we always recommend get a password manager. Um, don't reuse passwords. It's like the worst thing you could do is reusing passwords. Um, get multi-factor authentication on any and all account that you can. Yeah. Um, Because then if you've reused password, somebody still can't access it because they need your code. Um, Uh, Be wary when you in in your email, in your inbox. Like um, if you get an email from someone you don't know, it's okay to not click on links and to not respond to it and to just delete it or report it. Um, That's something that we spend a lot of time on is, you know, hover over the link. If there's a link in an email, just put your mouse cursor right over it. And you'll see where that link is really going to take you. And if it's not taking you to where you think it's supposed to go, then you should be suspicious. It's like trying to almost instill not paranoia into people, but kind of caution into people. Um, mm-hmm. Some people, you know, we run phishing campaigns and we can actually see how quickly people are clicking on links. So we can see within the first 30 seconds of it being in their inbox, we have X amount of people that have already clicked on it. Yes. And so we're just trying to get people to slow down. So yeah, that's our three. Our big three is password manager, multi-factor, and don't click on, don't click on links. Like, yes, and there's there's been a lot of rumbling in the world of cybersecurity because even cybersecurity organizations are now the target mm-hmm. of the the bad actors, and um, and now that everybody's working remotely, many people are using the Microsoft Office 365 with a web interface, mm-hmm. um, it it's become an attack surface that mm-hmm. is being exploited. And the human is actually the, the attack surface being exploited um, because sometimes we're too rushed to, like you said, you have to sit down. We, we try to be so productive sometimes that we fall all over ourselves and we end up clicking on things that, can bring an organization to its knees. Um, And so two-factor authentication is probably the best thing we could teach a kid today 
because they're all in school virtually, or at least mm-hmm. most of them are, and they all use Google. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody in school today is teaching them how to use two-factor on Google. I would be surprised. I would be yeah. surprised if anybody's taught the teachers how to do that. So, Yes. So, and, and here you are trying to plug the dam with your fingers. Mm-hmm. There's this influx of, of young professionals who were never taught how to use two-factor authentication. Wouldn't it be awesome <laughs> if we started a bit earlier? Yes. Let's do that. Let's do that. Um, well, and I mean, we have a hard time, though, even from adults getting buy into some of these things because it's not as convenient. Like, that's the thing. Like, technology is supposed to be convenient. It's supposed to be easy. It's supposed to make your life easier. And then we're like, okay, but we are, we're going to add a step when you log in. And even adults are like, no, that's I'm not going to do it. It's too much work. You know, you're slowing me down. And so for kids, I mean, their lives are so digital now. I <laughs> There's a funny a meme that's running around that's like, I'm glad that I got to grow up without TikTok. Um, which is, I'm, yes, I'm so glad that my life was not digitized as a kid. Um, but it is so important that they understand not just how to protect their accounts, but like themselves. And that's such a huge conversation to have, you know. Right. That's more than yes. an hour long here, you know. That's Yes, because it's not just a domino effect, right? If, if you do something bad, something bad happens to one other person. It's a star effect. If you do something bad, something happens to perhaps 10, 100 people around you, and then 10 and 100 people around those 10 and 100 people. And that could collapse an ecosystem, you know, an electric grid or a, a hospital or a school. I think that we don't understand the importance of our own responsibility. I think we're just not thinking that we matter in this ecosystem. Mm-hmm. But one click could make such a huge difference. And that's what we're seeing in, in our own industry, in, in our cybersecurity world, is that it was one person who clicked on one thing that, that opened the floodgates to all kinds of other things to happen. And so we have to be mindful that we do play our part in this big worldwide web that we're connected to. Yeah. I mean, for us, you know, we work in healthcare and we have seen in recent years, hospitals get completely taken offline by ransomware. You know, we have technology in hospitals now to help our doctors and our nurses and to keep our patients safe. But, you know, one rogue click and you can bring a whole hospital down. And so that's where all of our, that's where a lot of our message is, is like, we don't want a day like this here. We we don't want to see our networks just crash and us have to turn away patients or take up pe- like pencil and paper. Um, but and so you know it is that understanding that we're all in it together and that we yeah. all there are consequences sometimes when we click on links and stuff. So yes, and it's so scary to think that if something were to happen to you or to someone you love, whether they were in a car accident and um, or somebody is having a heart attack or a stroke and they're in the ambulance and they're being driven to a hospital. And the last thing you want to think is, you know, is that hospital going to be able to take care of me? Will their x-ray machine or their MRI machine work? Right. 
will they have access to my health records and will they know that I am allergic to a particular type of medicine? Yep. If, if their EMR, their medical record systems are down, if their MRI systems are down, they can't treat you. Right. And, and so there's this, we really need to educate young people about the dangers of going to cybercrime versus the positive of pursuing cybersecurity yes. because they may be part of the reasons why hospitals are having to turn down patients. Yeah. Yeah. We actually last year saw what, what many regard as the first death due to a cyber attack it was in Germany. Um, a patient was being taken to the hospital in an ambulance and the hospital got hit by ransomware and they were turning mm-hmm. patients away. So they had to take the patient to a hospital that was about 20 minutes away and the, the patient died in transit because they couldn't get treated. Yeah. So, and it is like, that kind of thing I think we'd expect not from young kids, but it's absolutely possible that they are causing disruption, um, just fooling around. And I can get the appeal of it. Like, Oh, you know, when you learn something new and you're like, Oh my gosh, look at what I can do now. But um, it has real world consequences. And, you know, that's, that's another thing that my boss and I frequently have discussions about is like um, not only is there consequences in like people's actual, what they're doing, like you can crash a computer, you can do all of this, but, there's also a legality issue there that some of these things are illegal and you might get in trouble for it. And if kids don't understand that, they think they're just playing around. That's a, that's a very common thing. I think in childhood is, you know, you're, you're keeping friends houses and doing all of that. And that also can have real life consequences. And so it's the same with doing some of the stuff cyber wise that you need to understand it's not legal and they're they're Like you could get yourself in trouble. Yes. And it seems like you're just having fun, but no. Yes. And the reason why I bring this up, because when I did some research about the the cyber criminals that, that got caught, because they did get caught, um, these are on average young men in their in their teens. They're they're not even out of high school yet by the time they've committed a crime. Mm-hmm. It already had a negative impact on the world. Um, the the most notable and most recent one is a 17 year old who who brought, you know, some some Twitter accounts. Uh, the Twitter hack, yep. yeah. The big Twitter hack. So they that one person was able to get access to some really high profile Twitter uh, accounts and and collected Bitcoin. <laughs> ah, Bitcoin. Um, you know, just for the fun of it and thought literally thought that he could get away with it, which is mind blowing. But the FBI caught him what within two days or something. Yeah, very quickly. Yes. But hopefully someone hears you and, and your story and gets inspired to go to the good side. Hopefully. I like it. I mean, it's pretty fun. <laughs> it is. Um, I bet you're never bored either. Mm-mm. We, yeah, we're busy at work. And then that's the thing that I also tell people about being in this industry. Um, It's not a career that you just leave, you leave work at the end of the day and that's kind of it. You know, there's always more to do. There's always more to learn. Um, I remember a couple of years ago, there was one week where three out of five weeknights, I had something going on with a cybersecurity event. And I was just like, this is a lifestyle. And at that point, I realized like I need to pull it back because I love my InfoSec people and I love doing this kind of stuff. But 
uh, there's other things that I need to do also. Um, but it is if if you want to succeed, um, you have opportunities to learn and to be involved and all of that. Um, that and it takes, but it takes time. It's a time commitment. Yes, yes, and I like that you say it's a lifestyle. Yes, it certainly can be, um, and it's also. I mean, it can be in in like everything that you get to do with the community. But then it is a lifestyle of like always being cautious and aware, and and it it's. I I refer to myself as pretty paranoid at this point of just the world in general. Um, but it is, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the future. What are your aspirations personally, professionally? Um, This is actually, it's really relevant to where I am. So the last few years have been focused on, you know, getting that first job and then like making sure that I'm comfortable in the industry. And um, so obviously I'll still always be growing my, my skill set. Um, Gina and I are about to start studying for another certification together. Um, we're going to start looking at the cloud because that's so relevant. Um, and it's not going away. Mm-hmm. Um, but then like professionally, my main goals are, I want to be in a position of leadership, whether that's with the, with the position title or not. Um, I've had, I've had bad managers in the past who, and that, that made me want to be a manager so that other people don't have to go through what I went through with that bad management. And so I want to be in a position where I can help people and um, somebody that be somebody that they can turn to when they're like, hey, I'm having a problem with this or, hey, I need help with this. Um, that's my main focus is just being able to help out and lead and be avoid. Like I'm, I'm focused a lot on being myself, being my true authentic self at work and in my relationships outside of work. In with this cat who's playing with her tail <laughs> happens all the time. Um, but yeah, so so my future, I'm really, it'll still be a lot of self development. But then also, um, you know, I, I kind of think of it as like I've climbed the ladder a few rungs, and so now I want to turn around and say like, how can I help somebody else get onto that first rung or onto that second rung? Um, and that's that's my focus going forward. I love that and. Leadership skills can be taught at any age and um, are you can be a leader without being in a position of power per se too. And I think that's what you are because you were the first to reach out to me to say, <laughs> hey, how can I help you? The first day that I launched a triangle net. And so you are already that leader. You're <laughs> taking that initiative all by yourself. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. I like, I I mean, you are providing a service and filling a gap that I think a lot of us didn't think about and didn't, didn't, um, didn't see like you did. And so I'm absolutely always going to encourage, you know, growth and change and, and let's, let's shake up this industry. I'm here for it. (laughs) Let's do it. Awesome. Um, a little bit about the future of security awareness training, security training, or, or just the, the development of skills in particular, what are your thoughts around gamification? Love it. I mean, some of this stuff, I think a reason that we have a hard time reaching some people is that they, like like how I was, I was like, no, I'm not smart enough. I'm not interested. I think people think it's not interesting. 
And I think, you know, we can give presentations all day long, but until you have an interactive component of it, until you can make it interesting, um, it's, it's not, and there was even, we were giving a presentation last week, my boss and I were, and she kept saying, you know, you need to patch your system. And people were like, what does that mean? Like what's patching? And I was like, updating, it's just updating. So, cause I think in the process of gamification, you have to make it accessible to your users, like to the people who are going to be doing it. And that's one way, that's one thing that you have to learn is like, what are terms that we in IT use that we think people know, but maybe it's like patching where they're just, they're just panicked. They're like, how do I patch a machine? And it's like, it's just updating. That's all it is for your purposes. All you need to know is that means update. Um, so, uh, so on board with, with gamification because yeah, I, some of the stuff is boring, but I think we can make it interesting so that at least other people want to start exploring it. Yes. And what I notice is that in cybersecurity, they do these competitions or uh, conferences where there is the a game where you get to play a game. It's called Capture the Flag or CTFs. But I feel that that is a great way to kind of explore mm-hmm. uh, cybersecurity and look at it at, as a game. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of gamers out there and they're not all boys either. Mm-mm. And I think this is a great way to kind of break things down and learn cybersecurity in a fun, collaborative way, because ultimately we're in this together and we have to learn to collaborate yes. Um have you been part of any Capture the Flag? Games? Yeah, I've, I've done a few. Um, we did. We actually did one. Um, there was a different networking group that I was a part of. That, that group doesn't exist anymore, but um, they. we actually had somebody come in, and she created Capture the Flag games for, like, high school-age kids. So it wasn't quite as um, deep in the weeds technical as some of It's just, like, I, introducing um, younger people to the idea of Capture the Flag. And that yeah. was the first one I did, which was awesome. Um, because it was still technical and you still had to like look stuff up and figure out how to do stuff, but it wasn't some of the stuff you'll see at other conferences. And then there's actually another great networking group here in the triangle called DEF CON 919. There's DEF CON groups all over the place and ours is just 919. Yeah. Um, they did a capture the flag um, this, this time last year, it was before the pandemic hit, but not that long before. And yeah. um, they had two versions for the capture the flag. One was the intro. So you got you got like a walkthrough guide. If you couldn't figure out how to do something, you could go look at the guide and see what you're supposed to be doing and like how you could get there. And then it was it like rolled right into the capture the flag where there was no instructions. Um, so yeah, and they're so fun. You meet great people, you learn a ton. Um, it's it's I've passed that was a whole afternoon that we were we were just at a space hanging out playing CTF. Uh, it was really yeah. fun. And I actually met some young people who were maybe in high school or early on in college at Capture the Flag and and doing impressive work already. So I think it's a great way for, for people to get their, their feet wet, get their hands dirty. So... Um, about these young people what do you wish for future generations what do i wish for future generations i wish that um they get to technology is like this wonder right we're still very early into what technology can achieve 
Um, and I personally, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what young kids can do with it. Um, I think kids, they have such great ideas and they see life so differently than we do. And so, you know, I, I wish for them opportunity to get to use technology to help solve problems and to help make things better. Um, I don't because I don't know how often those opportunities come up. And I think that you only hear about them very rarely. And so, you know, I, I love that they have embraced technology. I hope that they I, I don't know how to get the message across better than we are that there are, there can be um, bad consequences to some of this stuff. Um, I know nobody like the TikTok warning came out right at the beginning of the pandemic last year that is basically Chinese spyware. And so many people didn't care. They were just like, well, don't take it away from me. And so, you know, I hope that they get some awareness of what what happens when you put stuff out onto the Internet. But then that 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 continues to inspire them to make changes. And, you know, I think these upcoming generations are going to be so smart. They're going to be just having that technology from the get go is going to make their lives so much different than how any other generation has lived. And so, you know, I, I hope that they take that responsibility seriously and they understand what they have. And um, yeah, I mean, they're going to, they're going to make the world a better place. I have no doubt about that. I agree. I have great hopes for them as well. So looking back, what advice would you give yourself, your younger self? Um, I would tell my younger self that change is good. Um, I grew up really not liking the idea of change. I was like, this is what I know and this is who I am and that's it. And things that challenged my ideas made me really like anxious and, and mad sometimes. And as I've gotten older, there's been so much change to go through and to, to confront and new ideas to learn. And it's been such a gift. And so I wish that I could tell my younger self to be more open to learning new things. Um, I think a lot of things would have um, been maybe easier for me if I'd been more open to change at a younger age. Um, so yeah, I would say that expect change, lean into it, embrace it. Um, Cause it's, it's, I'm a big believer now that things work out the way they're supposed to. And so when you're going through something and it doesn't feel like, or it feels bad and it feels like you don't know what's happening. Um, it's going to get you somewhere where you're supposed to be. That's awesome advice to anyone. <laughs> um, but yes, change is the only constant in our world. <laughs> so better embrace it. Let's talk about your definition of success. Um, what my definition of success it would be for me, I feel very successful now. I like my job. I'm very supported at my job um, and I have a great community. So um, I get to do things like this where I get to come share my experiences and make connections with people. Um, I have a great group of friends who I can call up at a moment's notice and they'll come running to help um, or who I would do the same for. Um, so I'm, I'm looking at my life now. I, I know that I still have a lot to achieve in my professional and personal life but I already feel very successful because of who I've surrounded myself by and the experiences that I get to have. Even during this pandemic year, um, you know, my COVID bubble has been a really close group of friends of mine. And so now we do like, we do Friday family dinner, like every week almost. Um, and, and having those experiences and having those people, you know, I know that, that I, I'm only going up from here, but I already feel very successful. And, and I, yeah. I love it because you're really accentuating 
the fact that success is more of a process and, and, a, and an ongoing thing and where you are indeed making a difference. You, you have an impact already with what you're doing and you have meaningful work mm-hmm. and you're being recognized by your manager. I think that is such a wonderful thing um, to be in that position, being valued, being seen and heard and being given the opportunity to grow because everyone has unlimited potential. I truly believe that there's no limit to what you can do. And um, I see you being successful and I celebrate your success, Galen. So thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, I, I heard you say, um, how, where do you see yourself five years from now, your purpose? But let's, let's bring it home for, for a second. What is your purpose? Uh, oh gosh, what's my purpose? Do you mean like in career or life or both or either? Is there a difference? I think there can be. I think, um, I think one of the things that I really like about where I'm at in life is that those two things intersect. It's not just, I don't have one purpose at home and one purpose at work. I am always trying to lead by example of, um, sharing my knowledge of being passionate and not being afraid to show that I'm passionate about things. Um, like I said, I have a few friends uh, who are trying to, are thinking about entering the industry. And um, so I'm immediately just like, Oh my gosh, yes. How can I help you? Let's talk about like, here's what it, here's like, here's how I did it. And you know, I'm happy to help. Do you need a study partner? Do you need this? Um, and so I feel really lucky that, you know, that's the same thing that I get to do at work is that people actually I'm, I'm scheduling um, a meeting with a young person coming out of college who uh, wants to get into security. And somebody reached out to us and was like, hey, can you talk to this guy about what it's like to be in the industry? And I'm like, absolutely, let's do it. And so I feel really lucky uh, that my my career has a purpose, that I, I don't go to work every day and feel like I'm just a number or a cog in the machine and that what I do at the end of the day it wouldn't really matter if somebody else was doing it. Um, it matters that I do it and it matters that I do a good job at it. And so I feel like, my purpose is to share what I know and to help lift up others around me. And I am just lucky that I get to do that in both my personal life and my career is that I'm, I'm trying to help people be better, be more secure, um, learn. And it's easy because I'm passionate about it. And um, it's, it's, you know, getting to make those connections is really what life is all about, is connecting with people and, and sharing. And- so, Galen, what are you grateful for? Oh, my gosh. How long do we have? Do we have another hour? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm grateful for so many things. And one of the things, this is maybe going to sound weird, but I really struggled in my early 20s. Um, I really struggled with what I wanted to do with my career, with... Um, with feeling like I wasn't like, I didn't fit in anywhere. Like I didn't belong anywhere. Um, and now that I'm a little bit older, I just turned 30. Um, I feel so grateful for that struggle because it helped me find my people. Um, it helped me realize who I want to be and what I'm passionate about and, and how to be myself. Um, I struggled with that for a really long time of 
of um, feeling like I even just belong in my own space and in my own body. And so to get through my 20s that way was really tough. But it, it, you know, it was it happened for a reason. And I'm where I'm at for a reason. And so now, because of going through all of that, I can be this person who gets to talk to you about how I really want to help people succeed in whatever that means to them. Um, and so then I'm grateful for those opportunities to connect. And when people ask for help, so grateful that I get to help be like, get to help them. Um, yeah. Fantastic. Well, I want to thank you, Galen, for being that first person to reach out to me on day one, when I put myself out there and said, you know, I'm going to try something. I'm going to start my little venture and, and do my part to help others. Yes. And you were the first to say, how can I help? And uh, that, that really w meant the world to me um, because I'm, I'm you proud of you. Know. I'm proud for you. Um, I think, you know, putting, like you said, you put yourself out there and, yeah, a leap of faith and you're trying something new and and I'm so I'm grateful for you I'm grateful for this new venture that you're doing um I think you're gonna crush it and I can't wait to see you crush it but I'm like that's what I was trying to say like I'm, I'm here to support you however you need you let me know um I'll, I'll give you my time I'll give you my resources because I I believe in what you're doing and I'm I'm really proud that you're taking that step and filling this hole that we we didn't recognize we had for a long time I love it and I can't wait to hear feedback from young people, girls or not, it doesn't really matter, but that to say, you know, I, I heard Galen's story and it inspired me. And, and thanks to that story, I am who I am today. I am dying to hear that kind of feedback because I bet we will. You will make a difference uh, in the lives of other people just by sharing your story. So thank you for that. Um, and I, I, I really want to thank you on behalf of our community and anyone who's, who listens to your podcast. This isn't the only one that you've offered to support, um, you know, for just being that groundbreaker and, 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 and not just breaking ground, but breaking glass <laughs> up there, um, you know, to, to be that that pioneer and to say, I'm going to put myself out there. The little shy Galen <laughs> grew up to be a groundbreaker for other women. And I, I cannot tell you how grateful I am to, to, to hear this story, to share it with other people and um, to help young girls realize that they can too be whoever they aspire to be and to just engage wonderful role models like you um, to, to be a mentor, to be a coach, to just be, be heard by. And so thank you for being that voice, for being the cheerleader for all of us uh, and for the noobs. <laughs> <laughs> Including this little noob right here, I I I really thank you for um, living my favorite credo, which is uh, empowered women, empower women. Yep, yep. Open the door and let. Like that's uh, yesterday was uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's birthday, and obviously she's passed away. But um, that's something that I always think of is you know she opened the door for so many people, and you know 
didn't just open it, but like took it off its hinges so that other other of us could walk through it with her. And um, that's kind of how I'm trying to model myself. Fantastic. Keep kicking that door. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Kathy. Thank you. On the real, we appear to get gone. Victory is ours. Bring the chip home. Galactic, and I'm looking to get more. Raise it up, seen what you don't know. Running like the blood pumping from the pressure of a dream in the rush. We crush whatever we touch. Where you been, y'all? Everyone know. And if you still don't get it, let it chill for a minute. Time is money, trust me, man. I'm all business. And if you want something done, do yourself to get it finished. Wake up, victory's mine. On top, still on the grind. Gotta go get it right now. Holla at me, with me. It's time. Make it, show the world that it's shining our greatness. Keep it real, never gon' fake this. Till we make it, till we make it. Taking off, flying high like a spaceship. Take control, take a shot, what you waiting for? Keep it real, never gon' fake this. Till we make it, till we make it. Second verse, I'm telling you I'm ready to go, letting you know, cause I'm never belong. The ones that I roll with are incredibly known for getting down to the nitty gritty. If you're really women, let's go. Moves made, dues paid, most talk, but don't do a thing. We certified, observers, I come through and give a true display. We champions, understand me, standing under a victory canopy. Canopy, the enemy was hitting keys, ready to drive at top speed. Let's get it out. Wake up, victory's mine. On top, still on the grind. Gotta go get it right now. Holla at me if you're with me. It's time. Greatness, keep it real, never gon' fake this Till we make it, till we make it Taking off, flying high like a spaceship Take control, take a shot, what you waiting for? Keep it real, never gon' fake this Till we make it, till we make it Take it off, flying high like a spaceship. Take control, take a shot, what you waiting for?